Welcome to another episode of Kiwi and the Bird, Book Nerds in Session. I'm Taylor. I'm Kami. And in this episode, we are going to go into an in-depth discussion about the transcendent and war-torn Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Here's how our book discussions work. We're going to try to fit in all of our thoughts and feelings for Divine Rivals in just half an hour. If you like this episode, or this show, or what we do, we'd love to have your support. Donating to Kiwi and the Bird helps us so much. It keeps the show running, aids with giveaways and other fun activities, and enables us to grow. If you're interested, you're welcome to click on the link in the episode description below, or visit our Venmo, which is also at Kiwi and the Bird. Now, as we discuss everything about Divine Rivals, and I mean everything, here's your one and only... Spoiler Spoiler alert! Kami, would you like to give us a spoiler alert sound effect? Yeah, it's probably the same one as all the other ones, but uh, here goes. Uh, Clickety-clackety. Yeah, you've never done that before. (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) I don't think you ever. It's like the little clack, 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 clickety clack, you know, the typewriter. Oh, Mm -hmm. I just thought it was just clicking. No, 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 it's like the clack, clack, clack. That's not. I'm that's beginning. Not. I'm beginning to think you've never heard a typewriter. No, no, it's okay. Okay, I got. It, I got. It. It's like. That's a good one. There we go. There we go. And now on to the show. Now, of course, if you have been with us for some time, even if that's just been one episode, one book discussion episode, yeah. Then you would know that we always start out these episodes the same way. Mm-hmm. We talk about the most fundamental part of the book. We talk about the most important part of the book. We talk about the part that we're most excited about, about the book. And that is the romance. It's literally what gets us to read things. It literally... <laughs> okay, that's a little too accurate, though. <laughs> we'll literally read the synopsis of a book, mm-hmm. and all it takes is one line of, like, and her handsome academic rival, and we're in. Yeah, that's basically it. That's literally why we read A Magic Steeped in Poison. L- the word handsome was used. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> and so that's really what we're here for. It's probably what you're here for. So let's yeah. talk about the romance and divine rivals. This book is aptly so rivals to lovers. Yeah. Where Iris and Roman are obviously competing for the same job position at work. They pretend like, well, they don't pretend. They kind of hate each other, but kind of not. They're frenemies. They're frenemies. Yeah. They take each other out for sandwiches on occasion, but then also insult each other, but then also know a lot about each other. Well, Roman knows a lot about Iris. And they occasionally read, actually, he read her articles. She only read one of his because she was so moved. Yeah. She thought, I can't do this anymore. He's my competitor. Yeah. And from there, their love blossoms. Basically. So, what were some of your favorite parts of the romance? What were some things that surprised you? What were some things that you wished... Did you wish anything to go in a different direction? I, I absolutely know. did. I usually do. It's your floor. <laughs> Take it. Um, I liked them in the beginning. I liked having the beginnings of a romance kind of in a more mundane setting. Um, and I knew that like some war was going to happen just based on like the synopsis and things. So I was really excited to see, like, them kind of, like, starting out and, like, falling in love and having that completely break apart because war suddenly comes into their lives. Mm. It was very fast-paced, which I wouldn't have minded if it was done in a certain way. 
in that, you know, if when you're in war, it's like, oh, we don't have time, you know, like we might not have tomorrow together. So we're just going to go into this. And you kind of want to feel like the passion, like the deep passion for that. And I didn't get that. So for me, some of my favorite parts of the romance was kind of the tantalization of when Roman was going to reveal that he was in fact Carver. Oh, yeah. The person that Iris has been writing to all, all along, of course. And so I loved kind of the anticipation of when it was going to happen. You know, originally he gave her that, well, Carver gave her that letter that she was going to read in the trenches, but then Roman throws the paper out of her face and distracts her. And then she reads it at a time when things are relatively calm and then she's able to have the realization, oh, you were Roman. Roman and Carver are the same person all along. Mm -hmm. And I liked that Rebecca Ross had that moment of, Roman asking for help with synonyms and being like, what's another word for, was it sublime? No, he wanted divine. What's another synonym for divine? Oh, and then it was sublime and transcendent. Yeah, something like So that. then the anticipation of the reader knowing, oh, okay, when she gets to this part in the letter, that's when she's going to know. Mm, I thought that was okay. very clever. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a good way to build up the anticipation and, you know, really get us amped up for the letters and when it was going to happen and in the tre trenches, I was like, oh my gosh, is this going to, is she going to realize he's Carver right now? You know, it's like the night before a battle kind of thing. But then I liked that it wasn't then and that Roman knew that she had that letter and was going to read it. And so he hur hurried and distracted her. I also loved the scene where Roman first came to Avalon Bluff and mm. she sees him. And even though the sirens are going off, she runs and she tackles him and they have to stay still and quiet and they're kind of holding each other. And, you know, it's one of those moments where you're like, oh, they have to stay quiet, but they're so close and their <laughs> hearts are pounding against each other and her hair's in his face. And, you know, it's like, I liked that. It felt like time slowed down in that scene. And I also liked in the trenches the, the frenzy of war and how, like, Roman was trying to protect Iris, but then he got hit with the shrapnel from the grenade and he's taken away and like how frantic things are and how quickly things can happen and how in one moment everything can be taken away from you, which like you said, I think could play really well into a romance because it is that sense of we might not have tomorrow. Now I will say with the romance, pretty early on, I felt kind of stopped in the romance because of an argument Roman and Iris had where she was like, oh, well, you might only get the job because your dad would basically bribe the our boss for you to have the job. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, you'd only get the job because everyone pities you and thinks <laughs> you're pathetic, basically. When I read that, I was like, mm-mm. Ah, and that actually stopped me. Pretty hard in the romance really? in the beginning. Because I don't I felt pretty affected by it. And mm. I was surprised that Iris didn't feel super affected by it. It seemed like the next day she was fine. And then I think that's when she asked him out for sandwiches. I could be wrong on that. Mm -hmm. But that she recovered from that pretty quickly. When I felt like that was just so targeted and kind of the source of her insecurities. So I don't know. I felt like that needed to be resolved a little bit more or maybe it was just too harsh at least for me in the beginning of the romance because it took me quite a bit to kind of like be back on the horse with it um and then the other thing was just that I love a simp mm -hmm. 
But like we said in the book recommendation, Roman was pretty willing to leave everything he's ever known and had and an entire future and his bride-to-be and things like that pretty easily. Now, I don't mind that he did do that. It's not that. That's kind of what itched my mind. But it was just the fact that it was done so easily. I wanted it to be something where it's super ramped up in his mind about everything he's going to lose and what it would really mean. And yet he still proceeds forward anyway. Because he even had, I mean, I I know he wasn't the closest with his grandma, but he was close enough to mention her in his letters to Iris. And, And even though he had the tough relationship with his father, his father is all that he's known. Having a rich life is all that he's ever known. And so I think, again, if he had just, if there had been a really big thoughtful moment of that consideration, then it would have made his actions to leave even more powerful. Because I think his his decision to go didn't feel as powerful because it didn't feel as significant. Didn't feel like it was that big of a deal for him when he's literally giving up everything. So I think maybe if that had been built up a little bit more, I think if certain things along the way like that, I think it could have strengthened the romance a little bit, the foundation of it. And I will say... I felt like, sorry, and I'm taking up so much time. Go ahead. But I felt like Roman fell first. Oh, 100%. And he fell harder. And he fell harder. But I, it took me a while to kind of discern whether Iris even liked him. A little bit, yeah. And I know that's kind of a, I know, I know a part of it is that she's reluctant to admit that she does. She, she doesn't want to admit that she's attracted to him because they're rivals, they're competitors, and that kind of background. But I wish I had a little bit more of an inkling. Like a little bit more of like a, oh my goodness, I am falling for him. I'm leaning toward him. And then kind of like a blink and pull back kind of thing. Like a Nova Adrian situation. Yes, the yeah. push and the pull. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like the romance had good foundations. But I am curious, what did you think about them getting married? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay, okay. Again, like I would be okay with that. Because you're in war. You're going to get married. You're going to do all these things. Because it's like you don't have the time. But I was like, this feels very, like, slowed down, right? Because they also got married at a point in the story where you're kind of at a low in terms of, like, action. And so it didn't feel, like, very, like, oh, like, we have to do this now. Like, I didn't feel the urgency of it. Mm. If they had done it when they had come back, like, immediately from the front lines... I think that would have been a better place in the story for that to happen. Mm. Yeah, I I liked that they got married. It showed their commitment. And again, it added to the wartime sense mm-hmm. and the, the urgency of everything. I do admit, though, I, I, I actually hadn't thought of that. Like, I hadn't thought of the downtime where the wedding happened before. But it the story did kind of slow down for that to happen. Because she has to realize he's the same person as Carver and a few mm-hmm. things like that. Whereas, like, if there were, like, the bombs dropping or the creatures coming or something like that. Sirens in the air, smoke in the skies or something like that, that maybe would have a little bit more of like that, the trench-like feeling to it. Yeah. But I didn't necessarily mind how it transpired either. I did want to point out a few things. I thought it was really interesting that you said that you got stoppered in terms of the romance because of that. And I, I disagree Oh, because I think that she kind of hit Roman in a place that he he's insecure. Mm. Right. Like he doesn't want to be known 
that he can just get things because of his father who he has a very tumultuous relationship with. Like, yeah. that's a soft, that's a weak point for him. So it, I, in my head, it was just, like, him kind of hitting her weak point after he hit his. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, of a balance. Yes. But I also, it's funny that you say that because I always think that if you're going to be rivals or enemies, you have to be harsh with each other. Yeah, true. I want to see, like, the extremes. I want to see hate. Like, with, I mean, this wasn't enemies to lovers, but in enemies, I want to see them hate each other. And then kind of, like, come, like, have circumstances happen where they kind of have to slow down and be like, but no, I can't just keep feeling like this because that person's also a person kind of a thing. Kind of like a middle ground. Yeah, I want to see the whole thing. But, like, I want to see the extremes. I feel like so often we we go into this, like, just this balance of it. And I don't want to see it. I want to see, like, the the, extremes. I want to see the the tumultuous nature of it. But I think it's interesting that you say that because I think that's why authors are reluctant to do it. Mm. Because they're like, oh, well, what if people can't get into it because of this? So I thought it was interesting that you said that. But I also wanted to... What was another thing I wanted to bring up? Oh, yeah. Um, One of my favorite scenes, personally, in terms of the romance, was the scene where she did confront Roman about being Carver when mm. he was after he was in the hospital because yeah. it was like she found out but like she had been so worried about him with like with his injuries and like all the things that happened in the trenches and so it was just like the the, the confrontation of that with like all the circumstances surrounding it and then like the kiss that happened after, like that was a good scene yeah that and then a, she pulled away yes. she kind of ran off I love those kinds of scenes because it's like all feels like all of the things are coming together and, and like comes to a head and like that's one of those scenes so i really really liked that scene um but again like i didn't i didn't like there was one like i felt a little passion in that yeah but i wanted to feel more feel a little bit more punch more punch in all of it mm. you know i wanted i wanted the rivals thing to last longer mm. i was like okay yours he was a sin for her from the beginning okay <laughs> i wanted her i wanted him to grow to like her mm. We don't see enough of that. I wanted Roman to just, like, be able, again, just, like, the journey of it, like, not really liking her in the beginning, but then learning more about her. Like, she's in a really tough situation, but look how strong she is kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And learning to appreciate her. Or, like, mm-hmm. the things that irked him before he realizes he actually admires. Yes. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Um, I really wanted the whole Roman being forced to marry this girl to have way bigger significance in the story mm. in terms of plot and romance. Mm. Because I would have loved if he's like in, he's getting, he's being forced to marry this girl, but he's falling in love with another and no one knows about it. And like, he's kind of torn between, you know, I'm kind of stuck doing my father's will versus going after what I want. And I think we touched on that in like terms of like the significance of his decisions mm. And I feel like if Rebecca Ross had gone more th- towards that route, one, we would have gone way more angst, which I'm always a fan of. We love angst. We love angst. Two, it just would have added more to the story. It would have given Roman more of a place because then he could just, like, he could see the war from the rich perspective, you know? From the beginning, that's actually what I thought was going to happen. You know, we would see iris and like people of her class and like how they suffer in a war versus roman who's in a very privileged position and see how they how they might suffer or how they cause the war Mm -hmm. or like make it worse things like that that would have been such an interesting aspect for me 
And also just seeing how it, that would, I think, also make the rivals and like the star crusting a lot more significant. Mm. Yeah, I did. I did think that um, Roman's bride to be would play a bigger part. And then fairness, she might in the sequel she might. because her father was con- was colluding with Roman's father mm-hmm. for bombs. Mm-hmm. And so I thought maybe like that would play into something or even if that could have dragged Roman into the war or something like that to prevent the use Mm -hmm. of those bombs or something like that. But yeah, I did think I did originally think that maybe the bride to be was going to be for like angsty purposes. Mm -hmm. And you kind of feel a little bit of that angst when Iris sees everyone congratulating Roman Mm -hmm. on his engagement and she's kind of like, Oh, and I'm like, yeah, let's go. (laughs) Um, but I also understand, like, I can see why it wasn't pursued further. And like I said, it might be in the sequel. But it wouldn't make sense because they still, like, yeah, he just kind of, like, left it behind. I would have rather that there was more foundation with it. Mm. You know, like, that's what he left. Now we'll move on to our another topic, which I personally really like talking about because I think that they're vital to a story. Side characters. Ooh, you start us off, Tay. So in Divine Rivals, we have a few side characters. We have Iris's brother, Force, of course, who's kind of her her longing and sadness and drive. hopelessness and drive. <laughs> um, then we also have Addie, who is the fellow columnist uh, in Avalon Bluff. And, of course, Marisol and Keegan, who are the – well, Keegan kind of appears at the end. But Marisol is the owner of the B&B that Iris and Roman and Addie stay at. Um, just in case everyone wanted a quick overview. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my thoughts about Forrest. Obviously, Forrest is going to play a bigger part in the sequel. Mm-hmm. What we know about him in the beginning, the prologue starts with the memory of his leaving. Mm-hmm. You can tell that he and Iris have a close relationship. And you can tell by how she misses him and the fact that she was writing him. And the fact that she's even kind of doing all of this just to hear word of him, that she really loves him. But I will say with Forrest that he really drives to the beginning of the story, and he's obviously pivotal to the end, but he kind of disappears around the middle. Yeah. As Iris is kind of waiting to hear back about if he's even alive. And it's I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, because I think we know as the reader that she cares for him. But he did kind of slip out of notice for a bit. Um, Addie, I thought Addie seemed really nice and friendly and warm. I liked the little tidbit that we got about her family and the instruments and how she how she had that connection to music. I do wish we got a little bit more on her or at least um, a greater sense of her and Iris forming a friendship and, and getting to know each other more. And I also wish, too, that Addie had a deeper connection to writing. I did like her story of how she's kind of in it because a professor roasted her, but I do think there kind of needed to be a more personal tie to it. Like, you're willing to go to the war front and risk your life just to write and to report, and so I really wanted to feel kind of the greediness and her true reason and motivation for doing so. Marisol was also super nice and friendly and warm. I think... With the majority of the side characters, they do have that warm, friendly essence, and they do have a relatable aspect to them. But I think they could have just been dived into a little bit deeper. And Marisol, we know that her wife is Keegan, and that she hasn't seen her wife for a long time. 
and you kind of get that surface level knowledge, but I would love to see something a little bit deeper. You know, like what does she think about the war? What does she think about the gods? You know, what is something that she wished she could change? What was she doing before the war struck? You know, things like that, that would just give me a little bit more to go off of. But what about you? I completely agree. I always say you need your side characters to have way more development in your story or else they're just placeholders for conversation. Um, it's such, and it, it's, it's so sad to see because I truly think side characters are vital for Forrest. I do agree. I completely agree with what you said. Like he, he was very important in the beginning and you kind of have like the mystery of like, Oh, what happened to him? But so much of the stories like is focused on what's happening in Avalon Bluff. That you kind of forget about him for a little bit. Um, with Addie, my favorite scene with her was when they were, when she first came back from the front lines and she had that conversation with Iris and I about her background. That was one of my favorite scenes with her because we got to know her as a character. We got to know how the war has affected her. And that's exactly what a side character should do. But like you said, we didn't get enough of it. Like it was like we had that one moment and then it kind of fell off. With Marisol, she could have been a really important driving point in terms of the romance because her and her wife were like, they're war torn. They're literally war torn but you didn't really feel a lot for their relationship. It was just kind of like, oh, when is she going to see her again kind of a thing. It's, it was almost as if she was like just going off to the store instead of the front lines of a war. Mm. Where she needed, we needed to see her worry. We needed to see that I night she's waking up. anguish. Mm. That's yeah. what I wanted to see. Yeah. I wanted to see deep, profound feelings. I wanted to see it eating her up kind of a thing. Yeah. My favorite side characters were actually kind of like the secondary side characters. Mm. And my favorite story was the one about um, the battalion that all came from the same town. Yeah, the sycamore. The sycamore and like the significance of the sycamore tree. Like you really got to see like how war is affecting the country. You got to see, you got to feel like, because it was a bit personal, right? All these people grew up together and like, but they all died. And then that's how you see like, the effects of war and how tragic it can be and all these things. That was one of my favorite stories and one of my favorite things that the author did in it because you really got to see, like, the whole scope of it within the confines of the world that she built. And so I wish there was more of that in her primary second, in her primary side characters. Yeah, I because I loved the Sycamore Battalion too, but I wish that I had known their backstory before they all died. Mm. I felt like receiving that afterward... I wasn't able to experience the emotions that I felt I could have if I had known it before. You know, if they had all been gathered around a campfire in the trenches and they were all talking about how they grew up in the same place mm -hmm. and on the same streets and the same neighbors and, again, have that story, but sooner so then the next day I can feel their loss without having it be explained to me then. Because I felt like I wasn't able to process it because, like, I'm being given the emotional resonance now when I needed it a little bit sooner. We're now going to move on to the ending of the story, mm -hmm. which of course is a cliffhanger, a plot twist, a what? In regard to the ending with Forrest and with Iris being pulled away from Roman and Roman being left behind for dead, what did you think? I had wished that we had more notice of Forrest throughout the story. So like when we see him, we're kind of like, oh, it's Forrest. You. <laughs> it's you. Um, cause I wanted, I wanted to see like 
more of a confrontation in terms of like her kind of like where have you been like what is all of this and that whole thing I feel like that like the stakes of that weren't really pushed um in terms of them being I like the fact that Iris and Roman were torn apart because mm. like like that's where you get like the good stuff yeah the angst but there wasn't enough passion in the romance for me to be like oh yeah like this is a really sad thing mm. I know you're married now but like I didn't I didn't I didn't feel like oh my gosh like what is what's gonna happen kind of a thing so I wish I had felt more in terms of that I was very interested though to see Dacre at the end I like we at this point we'd only heard of him in terms of like third party stories and so to actually see the god and like kind of have like a face for it was really interesting like I think that's the part that's gonna get me to read the sequel. Mm, yeah. It's just like, oh, now the gods are coming in. Mm-hmm. Like, my this this is my, this is my territory. This is what I'm here for. We've heard the fables. Now yeah. what will hold true? Because up until, like, again, like, we don't see them. We just know, like, oh, the monsters are coming. Or we hear about this and this and this. And so it's just, like, kind of, I think that was really smart of Rebecca Ross to do that. To finally, like, introduce the god on a page. Yeah. 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 I, I think really, so, too. Now, when once once we, once we see Enva, I think it'll really, like, tie things together. Yes. Yeah. Um, in terms of the ending, I think with Forrest, I will admit there is, of course, foreshadow because there was the missing uniform. Yeah. There was, I think, the missing food pack or the medicine mm-hmm. pack. You know, so there were th- things leading up to Forrest's return. I think all his return needed to really hit that, like, whoa, he's back. He's alive. He's here. How? It's just if in the letter that Iris sent to, like, the station general, that he goes, oh, he's been missing in action. Um, or we haven't seen him. He was plucked off by one of Dacker's dudes and flew away, and he's been gone ever since, or something like that. So that then we have the sensation of, like, oh, his fate's kind of up in the air. He could literally be anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I think by ha- having the information that he was injured and then at the hospital – like, it, fe- it felt that Forrest was too set and settled. Mm-hmm. And so when he came back for his return, it was like, oh? Whereas I would have liked if his fate was a mystery, and then he came back and said, I was injured, Dacker's men found me, I'm now enslaved by them. Something along those lines. But I did, I did like having Forrest return to the story, because obviously that's going to be very personal to Iris. Um, with Roman... Yeah, I was like, poor guy, you know, he just got (laughs) married, then he got attacked, Mm -hmm. now he's bleeding out, he's like three seconds away from death, his wife's gone, his wife is gone, he doesn't know with who, I don't think, and it's her brother, (laughs) and then he's just bleeding out, (laughs) and then a guy comes and he's like, oh, maybe savior, and then it's just the evil god who's been creating all the terror, and then the god's like, oh, sweet, a rider, get him, boys, you know, rough for Roman, Mm -hmm. dude's having a rough time. But to kind of segue into the next question of what I think will happen in a sequel, I think that the journalistic and the columnist and the newspaper side of things could be really played up in the sequel if Dacker uses Roman to contradict anything that Iris writes. Mm -hmm. So if Iris comes back from the war front and is talking about what she's seen and what's happened and how Dacker is so bad and the pain and the terror and the anguish, but that then Roman, who is from a prominent family, who is a good writer, who, you know, has good standing and good grammar, 
could be contradicting that and saying, no, I was on the front lines. Iris is crazy. Nothing, none of that is happening. In fact, Enva is wrongly calling people to war and doing all these scenes and like kind of creating confusion within the newspapers. I think that could be a really interesting angle and still carrying on the theme of divine rivals because now they really are rivals. But obviously, Roman isn't beholden to his own will, but his words are so powerful and hers are so powerful that I think it could create an interesting conflict between them. But then also, like, maybe Roman could be slipping letters and secrets to Iris through, like, a code or something in his columns or something like that to keep the romance going. Yeah. Kind of thing. Does he still have his typewriter? Do we know? I'm assuming not, but he can always be given one. <laughs> given one! Dacker's like, here, you can have mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, in the sequel... Again, like, I think the only, not the only thing, but the main thing that would get me going is seeing the gods in person, mm. is seeing the lore come to life, is seeing the specifics behind that, and seeing what's true and what's not, um, and seeing more gods awaken, right? Because there were five of them. Digger and Enver are only two. What happens if others come in? Um, I think it would also be really interesting to see new places. Um mm. In terms of the world, I want to see more of the lore intertwined with the setting. And I think Rebecca Ross could do a really good job with that. The last thing, I really, I, this is going to sound so cliche. I really want Roman to be like, who was that man that she was with at the end? You know? And he's like, this is my brother. <laughs> I want that to be like a really big misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It may be... Not to bring him up again, but you know how PETA was brainwashed yeah. by the Capitol? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. And then he's like, that's my wife, man. Yeah. But honest, that's that's the thing that's going to get me going. I love lore. You love lore. Oh, Lord. You love side characters. And you love angst. I do want to see the bride-to-be. I forgot her name, but I want to see her make a comeback. Oh, and with the bombs. With the bo- I want to see her become a villain. And she could be. She could be. Because she was the one who formulated the bombs, yeah. right? Oh, oh, we for sure see, seen that's her That's such again. an interesting point. Okay. Yeah, I want to see it. <laughs> we are now going to be playing How Would You Survive? We have four minutes to pose four survival scenarios that pertain to divine rivals. Uh-huh. Question one. If you were vying for the same job position at your local newspaper with a coworker, what would you do to stand out? <laughs> um, okay, here's how I get ahead in life. I force my friendship upon everybody. And then I get to know them and then I make them feel all soft and warm and then they really like me and don't want me to leave. So that's how I would, that's how I would do it. So you'd kill them with kindness. Basically, yeah. But um, I, it's a it's a little bit like killing them with my nonsense. <laughs> That's fair. That's, That's fair. what I do at work now, and it's worked. And it's worked. Okay, I get a lot of special treatment. Okay. <laughs> what about you? Ooh, for me. Well, I mean, like in real life, I would just keep being me, and that might sound stupid, but I'm not gonna not be me. I'm just going to be so awesome. <laughs> I'm going to be efficient. I'm going to be better. <laughs> um, 
but in like a fantastical sense, if I was not me, then I for sure sabotage that person. I'd take the mm. ink out of their typewriter. Mm. I'd I'd pull some Jim and Dwight pranks. I'd yeah. put their stapler in jello. Yeah. I would spread some Michael Scott rumors around the the place to make it seem like they need an air tank to live. <laughs> And that they can't go scuba diving. Mm-hmm. I would do some Scooby-Doo shenanigans. I might seduce them. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You always go. <laughs> it's my default. But then break their heart so that oh. they know they can never come back because their heart was broken. You emotionally weaken them. I manipulate them emotionally. <laughs> you think you know love? You never will. <laughs> Your second question is, if you were in a war of the gods, whose side would you fight on, Enva or Dacre? I'm going to fight for whoever keeps me fed. That's such a real answer. Because guess what? If I'm fighting on an empty stomach, I'm going to turn my gun around toward my leader and be like, more food, more food, more food. Also, you're kind of mean. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of my flat answer. I'd actually go with Dacre. <gasps> yeah, here's why. I don't want to be eaten by hellhound flying things. Oh, that's okay. a good point. One, that's a good point. Two, where is Enva seen? No, I don't want a back. I don't want a background leader. Give me someone in the front lines. Yeah, Give me someone's gonna fight. And if I go willingly, he doesn't have to enslave me, so I still have like free will. True, that's true. Yeah, just submit yourself. Yeah, yeah, and then I'll become like the right hand man, and then I'll be fed. Look. Yeah, you'll get a buffet. Yeah. Yeah. Question number three. If you were battling or hiding out in a trench that was being attacked, what would be your go-to survival maneuver? Like, if I actually wanted to survive? Yeah. Yeah, this is how you know this is not a real scenario. I was going to be like, if I'm in a war, I'm dying. (laughs) Well, I'm just going to, I would want to go out in a cool way. Like, put me in a cannon and launch me. I'll take out at least one guy. <laughs> like, one. <laughs> um, okay, okay. Best, absolute best case scenario, I pull a Wonder Woman. Okay. Going to no man's land. Yeah. With my bracelets. Your gauntlets. Oh, that's a better word, yeah. Um... Well, yeah, that would for sure be best case scenario. <laughs> that would be the only scenario you'd want. Um, if I have no power, which I don't like, but if I have no power, um, I will be a deserter. <laughs> I would instantly leave. I'd go home. <laughs> you could not. And then I'd probably die for being a deserter. So <laughs> that's, that's why I wrote. Um, what would I do? Let's say I'm in the trench, I'm yeah. pinned down, I'm eventually capped. Well, let's say they're debating, like, should we kill these guys? Should we not? I'd go, I'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say anything. I'll say anything you want. Anything. <laughs> you want to know where the other guys are? Boom, boom. Give me a map. <laughs> Give me some little pins. I'll tell you where. They don't tell me nothing because of this, but I'll tell you what I know. I am the bottom of the rank, but guess what? I'm great at predictions. <laughs> I can certainly guess where someone might be. <laughs> and I am also willing to play the role of court jester. Yeah. 
I don't care if you throw tomatoes at me. Yummy. I'll eat them. Getting <laughs> Uh In real life, though, just play dead. Oh, yeah. I'd even, like, be like, ugh, I'm dying. Maybe blink a few times. Check, check if there's anyone else around and then just be like, pull a Harry Potter. Who's dead? Harry oh, Potter. Harry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to be like, did you read the seventh book? <laughs> Thank you all so much for joining us in today's in-depth book discussion about Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross. We hope that you will join us in our upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed our content, don't be afraid to subscribe to the series and follow us on social media. On both Twitter and Instagram, and a bunch of other things, we go by the handle at Kiwi and the Bird. And remember, like a library, at Kiwi and the Bird, shh happens. If you made it this far, get ready for some bloopers. Sometimes I'm like... Has Tay had any water today? (laughs) No, she hasn't. And in this episode, we are going to, oh, no. Uh We are going into, oh, (laughs) oh, dear. (laughs) And in this, oh, gosh. Okay, I just need to speak. I hate you. You hate me. We hate our dads. We're rich. What is threads? (laughs) What is being threaded? Why are there many? Why are there more than one threads? Why do we need other social media platforms? But also, like, Twitter had tweeting and tweeted. I can't threaded. Can't threet. And, and remember, remember, like a library. library at <laughs> <Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-Q-